This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Welcome, Talk Catholic, the website.com, your host, Tim Kilcoin. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. TalkCatholic.com with Tim Kilcoin as we are in the early stages of a new school year, are we not? And I like to give a little clinical pastoral advice to our students at whatever level, but especially the young adult level, let's say college and late high school. We are in a very divisive, polarized state as a country, as a church, and let's not forget our families. And in the midst of that collision of worldviews, which is the title of the chapter in our book review to be covered later in the show, our relationships, and especially our friendships so dear to us, are under tremendous strain. And if we want to keep them, which we should, we should be asking the initial question, first off, before the great debate, what is it that binds us? I had a very interesting late summer experience in getting together with a couple of friends, and these were really solid friends. Not that they're necessarily in my life on a regular basis at this chapter, but they were at one time. And I always try to keep the lifeline out. I try to keep the connections going, even if these friends may have moved ever so gradually in different ideological directions during our absence from one another, from the time we were very close. And that absolutely is the case with one in particular, whose um, political leanings are virtually anathema from uh, where I am currently, because that can change and likely will, given the corruption of both parties. And here is my advice. Don't go there. (laughs) If you go there, you can say goodbye to the friendship. And that takes some discipline, doesn't it? Because we're ready to pound our chest relative to our point of view. More than often. And... If it's only going to lead to big-time conflict, then maybe you need to take a deep breath, take a step back, and simply ask the question, what is it that unites us? What are some common denominators of interest that we can build on and keep building on so that maybe those other things will gradually dissipate and we can maintain our friendship? And I'm deeply pleased to have seen the arrival of this one particular friend And he traveled quite some distance to be with me late summer. And I take a little pride, actually, in being, I think, one of the few that tries to keep that rope, okay, connected with friends from different chapters in my life. And that's not easy to do. Remember what Jesus said, What good is it to love those who love you? Do not the tax collectors do the same. Easy to be always surrounded by the book club where you read the same books. However, there is a diversity in people that has to be met and fully recognized where you're willing to show some empathy, compassion with, but you don't necessarily adopt their position because you simply don't believe it. We stand firm, yet charitable. 
recognizing they come from very different backgrounds, their upbringings have been different from you, and influences upon them through schooling, etc. All of this has led to a diversity of opinion, for sure. And again, I haven't always been successful. Some of these friends went over a Marxist woke cliff, which, as you know, is not where I'm at as a traditional Roman Catholic and darn proud of it and called to spread that faith. So so are there connections here to be made? That's up to them. I love the debate. Let's have the debate. Let's have a public square debate. Hey, let's bring back colonial days and we'll just uh, put it right out in the open. I actually have utter confidence in community affirmation of God's truth, but we have to put it in the open. But you see, we're at a level of evil in the public sphere right now that they don't want debate. They just want you shut down. And that's pretty scary. It's Nazi-like is what it is. And we're going to have to try to do our best to build those friendship bridges and, again, seek that common denominator. The other friend that came to visit was um, a 180 from the other gentleman. Politically, at least. A very traditional conservative kind of guy in every respect and Catholic to the max. And and he tends to be stereotypically a little bit reclusive, keeps to himself pretty heavily. But on the other hand, he's involved with autistic children. As an educator, many years. Uh, so, you know, he's doing great work and always has been. But the problem on the conservative side, it tends to be this isolationist posture. Because why? Because you know you're not typically welcomed with your most traditional leave it to beaver, Ozziet and Harriet ideas about family life. For instance, the definition of marriage cannot change after 6,000 plus years. And that might not get a standing ovation at your local college freshman frat party. And uh, so we we get a little bit coy from uh, engaging. And so in both situations, what I try to do, I know he likes the political debate as opposed to the theological, although he's good at that too. And so I'll wax politics with them because we tend to be on the same side of most issues. But I'm looking for that common denominator of interests between us. And there are other friends of mine who are even closer to myself theologically And at this current time, we're not talking. (laughs) I had to call him out on certain behavior patterns because he's a disciple. He's been called to spread God's word because he's got the gifts to do it. And I know exactly what some of the impediments are that are holding him back from doing that. And I just laid it out on a platter. And he didn't take a liking to it. (laughs) But it's all okay. It's all good. I did the right thing because I love my brother in Christ. And I want to be leaven. I want to raise him up to the next level on the stepladder for our Lord. It's called fraternal charity, and it has to be exercised by us Christian men and women, especially this school year with the forced radical agenda in your textbooks. But don't worry, this friend of mine will come around in time and be sure to give that time. That alone is a friendly gesture. In that particular case, I just had to give what I call a clinical pastoral assessment, which we all should do with those we love, even though we might have to put them on ice for a period of time. Because as I said to one priest recently, what adult do you know, Father, that likes constructive criticism or any criticism? You know any adults that enjoy that? (laughs) I'll take the 17-year-old any day of the year. They got issues. 
All right, we should all have a mirror of what we're all about. It's called the spiritual director. And so few people seek one out because they have to pound their chest about who they are. No, we need to work on our weaknesses, not our strengths, in order to grow in the spiritual life. I've said that probably a hundred times in the last few years. So just remember, we're not going to shirk or shy away from our solid positions morally. We are called to be other Christ, to be firm in our faith and be people of principle. On the other hand, we have to be sure that the delivery is charitable. And it's a tightrope, and you're called to walk it, and so am I. And yes, there may be necessary times when you're just not talking to each other. It's okay. So let's do our best this school year so that we can have a few friends, and hopefully many, because we're building those common bonds together. All right, I want to just quickly provide a little weekly food relative to the issues of the upcoming Synod on Synodality by referencing the great book, The New Springtime That Never Came by Bishop Athanasius Schneider in 2021 by Paul Lisicki. And so he is uh, hitting him head on with a lot of tough ones. And the upcoming synod, on the other hand, is playing patty cake with us. The upcoming synod leaders are not asking the tough questions and not even referring to such things as atonement and punishment and judgment. Uh, those are Those are words from the old days, the old church. Well, here is the bishop responding to the following question. He is asked, many think that the pandemic was God's punishment for the sins of the church, speaking more broadly of the world. Others say that perceiving misfortunes befalling humanity as divine punishment is a mark of an immature faith and a pagan mentality. There are also those, including the primate of Poland, who claim that the pandemic is definitely not God's punishment. Do you think that any of those opinions is right? In my opinion, the coronavirus pandemic was undoubtedly a divine intervention for the purpose of punishing and cleansing a sinful world and the church. We must not forget that our Lord Jesus Christ perceived physical calamities as divine punishment. We read in Luke chapter 13, verse 1 to 5, And there were present at that time some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answering them said, Think you that these Galileans were sinners above all the men of Galilee because they suffered such things? No, I say to you, but unless you shall all likewise perish, or those eighteen upon whom the tower fell in Silo and slew them, think you that they were all debtors above all the men that dwelt in Jerusalem? No, I say to you, but except you do penance, you shall all likewise perish. You see, ladies and gentlemen, our Lord spoke tough love, very tough love. And this is what the leaders of the Synod on Synodality do not want to accept. They want to sugarcoat the church in all of our Lord's teachings. And that's one big one right there. Any reader of the Old Testament, the interviewer asked, We'll see that the calamities that befell mankind at the time, drought, deluge, plague, or wars, were regarded as a fulfillment of God's designs. Can the way in which God handled his chosen people in the Old Testament be of help in understanding the current situation at that time, the pandemic in full swing? The COVID-19 pandemic, to the best of my knowledge, has created an unprecedented situation in the church. 
I am thinking about the almost worldwide ban on all public celebrations of the Holy Mass. One can see a partial analogy to the ban on Christian worship in almost all of the Roman Empire in the first three centuries after Christ. The current situation, however, is unprecedented because in our case the ban on public worship was issued by Catholic bishops and it happened even before relevant government regulations were published. In a way, our situation can be compared to the suppression of sacrificial offerings in the Temple of Jerusalem during the Babylonian captivity of God's chosen people. In the Bible, divine punishment was perceived as grace. Blessed is the man whom God correcteth. Refuse not, therefore, the chastising of the Lord, for he woundeth and cureth. He striketh, and his hand shall be healed. Job chapter 5, 17, and 18. The only adequate response to afflictions, catastrophes, pandemics, and other such situations, all of which are tools in God's hand to awaken people from the slumber of sin and indifference toward divine commandments and eternal life, our penance and a sincere conversion to God. The interviewer asks, because of the pandemic, many bishops have started encouraging the faithful to receive Holy Communion in the hand instead of on the tongue, and some bishops have explicitly forbidden reception on the tongue. What do you think about that? The situation in which the public celebration of the Holy Mass and the distribution of Holy Communion are suspended is so unusual and so grave that we can look for a much deeper meaning in it. Those events are happening almost exactly 50 years after Holy Communion in the Hand was introduced, 1969, and after a radical reform of the rite of the Holy Mass was implemented, the Norvis Ordo, 1969 to 1970, along with its Protestantizing elements and the horizontal and instructional style of celebration. The practice of distributing Holy Communion in the hand has led in the last 50 years to unintentional and intentional sacrileges of the Eucharistic body of Christ on an unprecedented scale. For over 50 years, the body of Christ has been trampled, mostly unintentionally, by the feet of clergy and laity in Catholic churches all over the world. The phenomenon of theft of consecrated hosts has also been growing at an alarming rate. The practice of receiving Holy Communion with our hand and fingers resembles the act of eating ordinary food. This way of receiving Christ in the Eucharist has weakened faith in His real presence, in transubstantiation, and in the divine and exalted nature of the consecrated host among many Catholics. Subconsciously, in the understanding of those faithful, the Eucharistic presence of Christ has turned into a blessed bread or a mere symbol. When the current affliction comes to an end, the Pope should issue specific liturgical directives where he would invite the whole Church to turn toward the Lord in the manner of celebration, which means that both the celebrant and and the faithful should be facing the same way during the Eucharistic prayer. The Pope should also prohibit the practice of distributing Holy Communion on the hand because the Church cannot continue with impurity in the small consecrated host in such a minimalistic and risky manner. And all I can say, ladies and gentlemen, is Hallelujah, Bishop Athanasius Schneider. I am so tired, I'm so tired of being basically a political spectacle for many in the church because i receive on the tongue and will continue to do so and have only the 2023 deposit of faith tradition on my side and yet because of this pandemic maneuver it was basically used to diminish what bishop athanasius has told us it's being used to diminish the real presence of christ in the eucharist and the gall of our leaders to push it communion in the hand it's setting the stage 
for the synod on synodality and its ultimate potential blasphemous conclusion that maybe transubstantiation is not all that necessary. And now we can all come under the big tent and get along at Abu Dhabi, the new Tower of Babel of the globalist elites. Indeed, ladies and gentlemen, it's where it's all heading if we don't put the brakes on fast in honor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and His one true church. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. We'll get back to our book review on the other side. Well, this... Next song gives new meaning to that phrase, hugs, not drugs. Give someone a hug after listening to this. The Things We Take For Granted, Catholic evangelist Tony Melendez, born without arms, playing the guitar with his feet, cries out a yearning so few would know, I wish I could hold you. Now when the concert's over, at the ending of my day, the spotlight's dim, the crowd has all gone home. I think about you, honey, you're the only one I love. I wish that I could hold you in my arms. If I could take your hand, I would never let it go. Understand what words can't show I would pull you closer And push the world away I wish that I could hold you in my arms I hold you in my So in our last session on who am I to judge, Professor Sri was reminding himself of an encounter in college where he took on the professor and basically challenged his logic. So is relativism true for everyone, that there are no absolute truths? And the fellow fell silent. And Professor Sri basically said, you know, we may have these gotcha type moments, but the real problem of our society taking this attitude that there is no moral objective truth is that we Christians, and you could broaden it out to Judeo-Christianity in general, have not done a very good job of presenting what he considers a classical moral worldview. And he goes on and offers some very good uh, questions at the end of these chapters, this chapter being clashing worldviews. Here's one. The author told a story about providing to his friend that relativism was logically inconsistent. Explain that point in your own words. Why is it illogical for relativists to say there is no truth? So you can see the illogic right there. There is no truth. They're making a kind of all-comprehensive, mandatory statement, encompassing all people of all times. And yet it's about relativism. It just doesn't make sense, ladies and gentlemen. You know, if 
if relativism is the norm for all people all time, then there must be something absolute about it. There must be something objectively true about relativism. However, he says, How successful was this approach in convincing his friend that relativism was wrong? As you remember, it didn't convince the fellow. He continued on as a professor teaching his students that there was no absolute truth of any kind. So what was it, ladies and gentlemen, that fell short in convincing his professor, even though he used logic? Relationship building was not there. He tried, and we do this as Christians way too often, especially in the vineyard of ministry, in trying to convince people, and it becomes point, counterpoint, how many points up am I right now? That kind of thing. That doesn't go a long way to win hearts. It might win the argument, but it won't win the person over. So very important point that he's bringing up here is that you can't just dive into the apologetics class and think that everybody's interested. I've made the comment many times, there are three attributes, the divine attributes are truth, beauty, and goodness. This is God. It makes sense that we can bring people to God through any one of those three, and preferably all three, but if the person isn't jumping through hoops to get to the truth of things, then how about beauty? Show them a little beauty in art, architecture, music. Go shopping with them, wherever there's beauty you might be able to convince the person that there is God. This is why retreats often take kids to Mount Washington and go on camping trips into God's beautiful creation. Truth, beauty, goodness. Time for charitable works. Get down to the soup kitchen. Okay. Meet the homeless. And see the other side. Because our Lord is most often there. This alone can bring people to God. Without question, you see God in the people you serve. So keep this in mind. It is extremely important because, again, in the field of religious education, quote-unquote, catechesis, we tend to be only wrapped up in the heady and the ideological and the philosophical and the propositional. And unfortunately, it's not where most people are most of the time. Thus, we get pegged as out of touch, <laughs> in their own world. <laughs> I've heard it all. <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, I defy them with my uh, golfing prowess and musical abilities. We must stay integrated in the spirit of St. Ignatius. Another good question, he said, have you ever tried to convince a friend relativism is wrong? Think about it. Have you even been aware that pretty much everybody is relativistic right now? Generally speaking, except for those, especially in ministry, that shouldn't be, although they are too. How many of us are making statements that are comprehensive for the whole human race? Because God set the moral blueprint in motion for all of us. Like premarital sex is a no-no no matter what your age. Or how about those 10 universal wisdom sayings torn down in the courtrooms and public schools years ago by judicial activism? The Ten Commandments. Or have we already adopted that fictional character named Kara at the first part of the book who changed her mind about certain moral positions like gay marriage because she got hammered at the local college party? Verbally. And then she qualified all of her positions from that point on with the two words, well, for me, for me, this is right or wrong, but whatever floats your boat. Okay, so no longer is she thinking that, you know, these moral principles are for everybody. Just now only just for her. And now everybody adopts that. 
and thus you get no morality for anyone. And then he makes a one final comment near the end of the chapter about counterfeit money. He says, when government agents are trained to identify counterfeit currency, they begin by studying authentic money. After they've spent countless hours touching, tilting, looking at, and looking through genuine bills, detectives will be more likely to notice a false one. Similarly, the more we grasp and internalize the Catholic outlook on morality, and the more our minds and hearts are shaped by God's beautiful plan for the moral life, the more we will be able to detect and diagnose the various counterfeit approaches to life offered by our secular relativistic world, i.e. woke agendas. Formation in a classical moral vision will do more to combat relativism than shallow arguments for why relativism is wrong. So I invite you to step back and consider a way of looking at life that's very different from what the mainstream culture offers. It is the classical moral vision undergirded by Christianity. So he asks at the end of the chapter, the best way to detect the counterfeit money is to study authentic currency. And the same is true with morality. What can you do to form yourself more with an authentic Catholic moral view? Here we go. It is, ladies and gentlemen, called and has been called the Catechism of the Catholic Church. 2,023 years and unchanging, contrary to what the Synod might come up with down the road. Unfortunately, too many of our educators dismiss this beautiful, succinct summary of magisterial teaching as a resource, you know, to be left on the shelf. They've been saying this about the Catechism of the Catholic Church since the 1980s when it was commissioned. You'd be hard-pressed to find it in most of our Catholic prep schools throughout the country, this country anyway. Whereas in my recent interview with John Henry Weston, he was telling us that this very book has been banned up in Canada. You could get indicted for hate speech. Here we go. Well, never banned here. Promoted with enthusiasm. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. Remembering that absolutes do exist. Absolutely. Like God loves you from the beginning. God bless. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please, my number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoyne, TalkCatholic.com. St. Mother Teresa told us, your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless.